Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer here with you. It is Tuesday, November 2nd, 6.15 p.m. And uh, this episode of Wide Right brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Joined once again by my colleague, the man, the myth, the legend, Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast, who's getting more fans by the day. People listening to your breakdowns of, of, of games, your reviews. Uh, it's getting popular, man. Yeah, I'm up to like 15 uh, downloads a week now. So, uh, <laughs> which is good. It's up, it's up from like two now, but seriously, it's gone up into the like two hundreds, which is nice, uh, considering that I just do this for fun, but I'm glad people are tuning in and liking it and, uh, love when people tune in here and listen to us talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, interesting day today. I, I obviously came out with uh, an article this afternoon. Uh, it's gotten a lot of, uh, attention regarding Miami's administration, um, basically telling me in collection of conversations that I've had here uh, over the last few weeks that they're not going to fire Manny Diaz most likely in the middle of the season. If they do, it'll be at the end of the year. I think he's kind of earned himself um, uh, at the opportunity to coach the rest of this season um, before being evaluated it would have to take essentially an epic meltdown for Manny to be fired. And I know that's not surprising. I mean, when you beat two ranked teams and opponents, what do you, what do you expect the score yeah. to say? Um, but the bigger news I thought, Carlos and agree or disagree with me was that essentially you and I talked a lot about money in the last podcast. <laughs> um, and and how Apparently many we didn't talk about enough money? No, we didn't talk about enough money because, uh, as we as we discussed in the last podcast in 2019, I think Miami had 89 million dollars in profits as an entire school. Well, looking at the 2021 numbers, which you did for me, um, and found the public records on Miami's website. Um, it's 432 million. And a lot of that, of course, had to do with U Health last year and COVID, I'm sure. But essentially, there's a lot more money in the bank for Miami, which means that if they want to fire Manny Diaz and hire an entirely new staff, they have the money for it. And what I was able to confirm uh, today and through, through other sources uh, is that Julio Frank wants to spend. And basically what Kirk Herbstreet did I think chastising Miami publicly on September 25th on, on, on game day got the attention of Miami's president who said, you know, hey, we're getting ripped for something like this. That's that's not cool with me. And there's a lot of people who care about that U brand. Uh, they've put that logo everywhere, uh, that football logo uh, that everybody knows. And, you know, essentially having a football team struggling, having people call you out on national t TV, that hurts the brand. And so, look, they're, they're going to spend money to upgrade and fix this problem that they have. Does that mean they're going to spend a uh, hundred million dollars on football all of a sudden and hire Nick Saban? No, I, I don't think they're going to do that, but uh, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly the possibility. I think that financially that a Miami wanted to go out and get Mario Cristobal, Mario Cristobal wanted to come home to coach this team. They'd find a way to replace his staff and hire his staff. And it wouldn't be something that's uh, undoable. So while I think for a long time, we've, we've been fed a, a narrative that the, uh, Miami can't afford coaches. I think those days are over. And, and the reality is this. I'll tell the listeners this. They haven't always had money. Okay. While it's, <laughs> while we can sit here and say, oh, well, they right. always had money. Yeah. They have money, 
but they didn't choose to use it on sports. When Donna Shalala was, was president, she wanted the athletic program to basically sustain itself. Now they realize, hey, it's been 17 years of losing. And if we need to spend money to get this thing right, we're going to have to do that. Yeah, and I think that was the most interesting part about it. It's not so much the $432 million in profit, which is amazing. Obviously, it's a lot of money. It's the fact that they are willing to draw from that general fund to go out and spend on athletics. Right. Uh, like you said, before it was Donna Shalala's plan to just have athletics support itself. And you can't go out and get big-time coaches on what this athletic program brings in. Now, if you add that general fund in and all that money that's rolling into the university, especially after a big year like they had in uh, fiscal year 2021, then now you're armed with a, a big enough coffer to be able to go out there and get who you want if you want to make a change. Now, it all depends on how Manny finishes the season. I know a lot of people are saying probably in their head right now, if they've got the kind of money and they want to spend, just get rid of the guy right now and let's bring Mario in today. Uh, but it doesn't work that way. And we've got to see how, uh, how the season plays out. And even if Mario would like to take the job, depending on what goes on down here. I know there's some stipulations that Mario probably has in place. Like one, number one is getting rid of Blake James before he even considers a job. Right. And, and, and there's a history there between the two of them. Right. There's some sort of uh, rift. Uh, of course, you know, M M Mario, when he got fired at FIU in 2013, um, you know, Miami hired him to come over and be Al Golden's assistant, head assistant. And uh, after six weeks, he took off to Alabama. So there were a few people that were sort of disappointed with Mario that he did that to Miami. But um, the reality is, I can tell you, the people that are now involved in this for Julio Frank, and the people involved in making the decisions here and what happens going forward, they don't give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, when you they, when you continue losing and you get smoked on national television and your brand gets shit all over, that tends to change your mind about people. You're like, ah, oh, maybe the guy's not that bad. Right. And and here's the thing. I think one thing that has to be sort of rep, uh, respected here is the job that Manny has done to save himself, to put himself in position to save himself. I can't say he yeah. saved himself, but essentially he's put himself in position. And, you know, look, the one thing I'll tell you, all of these guys who were involved in this, okay, and trying to get this thing right, they're level-headed people. Um, they recognize that Miami has been mediocre for a long time, okay? And I think they're not just going to accept – you know, an average season that they, they, they know that it can't be that way anymore, that, that Miami, if they're um, if their brand isn't going to get crapped on, as you say, um, it, it's going to be because they're not just a great medical facility and a great educational system or whatever, but they can, they can win in football. That matters to the people involved there. And, and they, and they know that now. And, and look, Miami's just in a position now where, Financially, they can do the change and, 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 and commit to, to making things better with this program. They've put more money into it over the years. I'm not going to sit here and crap all over Donna Shalala. Uh, you know, the football facilities, um, you know, they moved to Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, I know some people looked at that as a negative. You got rid of the Orange Bowl. But the reality is they had to. Right. I mean, they didn't own that. Yeah. It was City of Miami. Um, so they had to find a new home. And when they did, you know, Hard Rock uh, wasn't a bad place to play. I mean, they've upgraded that stadium tremendously. Um, and, uh, yes, it's not an ideal situation. You want a stadium on campus, but we know Miami's never going to have a football stadium on campus. There's just no, There's no way you can ever put a stadium in Coral Gables. There's no, no, no place you could put it near enough to campus. It'll make sense. Maybe tropical park, but that's not a great place to put a stadium anyway. And then what's the other option? You leave hard rock for Marlins park. And then you have that awkward ass setup on the field where it's like the fans are 16,000 feet away from the sideline on one side and then right on top of the sideline on the other side. It's just very awkward. And then the other thing is, how many teams get to play in an NFL stadium? 
not just an NFL stadium, but a state of the now a state of the art NFL stadium that hosts Super Bowls. So that is a recruiting tool in and of itself. Like, yeah, I get it. It's far from campus. But you know what? It's Miami. Everything is far, no matter if it's close because of traffic. So it doesn't matter, man. Everybody's they got shuttles that run to the stadium. All those things are excuses. Aside from the fact that most people that go to those games, I mean, the student section is always full. The people that don't go to the games are the fans that don't live that far from the stadium that actually live in surrounding Dayton, Broward County, that could probably make it easier than the students from Coral Gables. But that's not that's neither here or there. The stadium is not the issue. The issue in the past has been what's the commitment from the administration to make this an elite program? And it hasn't been there yet. And based on your article today, it finally sounds like the people at the highest levels of the university finally recognize that it's good for the university brand. It's good for the university as a whole to have a successful athletic program, but more importantly, to have a successful and elite football program, because that's what put them on the map to begin with. And when people see that UM logo, the first thing I'm sorry, they don't believe they don't they don't think of as a university. The first thing they see when they see that you is the side of the helmet, because that's where it came from to begin with. And, and I can tell you that, you know, the expectations of what Miami should be is pretty much aligned with what a lot of, I think, normal thinking people uh, everyday rational thinking people have, which is they should be winning the coastal division quite a bit, you know, and, and the yeah. exact, exact phrase that I was given was uh, winning it eight out of every 10 years or being, you know, winning the conference a handful of times in a decade. That's the expectation. That's what I think the, the administration views as quality Miami football, getting to the football playoff, competing for national championships. And so if they're willing to put their money where their mouth is finally because they've got it and they're going to use it towards sports, then great. This is what you want as a Miami fan. You should be celebrating this. You should be happy that um, the administration feels this way. Um, this is a victory for Miami today. And if Manny Diaz turns out, you know, they went, they, they went out, they go eight and four. And let's say they sneak into the ACC championship game and they beat Wake Forest. I mean, if they win an ACC championship, how can you fire Manny Diaz? How can you make a change based off of a two and four start? I don't think you can. And I, my impression from from all of my conversations here in the last couple of weeks um, is that this program cares about football and the narrative out there that they didn't. Right. May have been accurate before, but it's not accurate anymore. And I think that's right. a testament to Miami fans complaining. I think that's a testament to Barry Jackson for the Miami Herald, who wrote the first article, who sparked everybody, you know, to start talking. And that's a testament to Kirk Herbstreit for opening his mouth and saying it on national television. It, it worked. It got the attention of the administration and they're reacting. But I will tell you from my conversations with, with the people that I've had conversations with at Miami, um, this really started with the FIU game, believe it or not. And this has been a thought going for a while now, ever since that night, the embarrassment that, that the administration felt and took following that game, um, mm-hmm. that was sort of the wake-up moment. Um, yeah. I, I think what's carried on here over the last couple of years was, hey, you know what? This is a coach. We gave him the opportunity. Let's give him some time. And they were good last year. 8-1 and one was a very good start. And, and then they fizzled out at the end, and they finished 8-3. and three. And then this season, of course, was the disappointing start. But the point is, it's not like they haven't been aware that this program has been on the ropes. Okay. And I think um, for a lot of us, and for me individually, I, look, I, I don't have a, a, a great relationship with Blake James. It's not like he calls me up and chats with me all the time and tells me what, what he's thinking. Um, you know, the coaches behind the scenes, they're just coaching the football team. 
But the people who make the decisions are tired of this narrative of, hey, we don't care about football. And they want to put that to bed. And if Manny Diaz can can finish the season strong, I think he'll have a job next year because he's got two years left on his contract. And more importantly, he's kept these players playing hard for him. And that is shown off yep. to the administration. The people who attended um, the Virginia game, okay, the, the, the administrators and the people involved um, who, who went to the Virginia game, even though Miami lost that game, it wasn't lost on them that Miami had a chance to win that game at the end and that their young right. players were caring. So they've, they've been watching, they've been paying attention. And, you know, as much as you might be rooting, some of you might be rooting for Manny Diaz to be fired. I don't think anybody there is, Carlos. You know what they want? They want Miami to win. They want what, what, what you're supposed to care about. And I think, you know what, it's, it's good that there are rational and reasonable people running the program because if there was fans running the program, we would have fired people one game into the season, right? Um, <laughs> that's the way it operates. But it's, it's good that they have the sense of, one, that they understand what's going on on the field, that they see that the kids are still playing hard, that the team's not falling apart, that there's more nuance to just a win and loss record, and also that they are willing to give Manny the chance to play this out and see how it goes because it makes financial sense to do so also. Because at the end of the day, if you want the best coach possible after Manny, if you want to get rid of Manny, if that's the case, why don't you want to save as much money as you can to be able to put that money towards the next coach and staff and facilities as opposed to having to waste some of that on paying that buyout or larger buyout than you need to? Let this play out, finish out the season. If he's not worth bringing back next year, then you get rid of him. Or if he does come back next year, at least you know that the university has that money in their pocket that they're willing to use. And if he gets off to a bad start, he's gone midseason, and then Operation Mario goes into place. Right. And and we'll see what happens. You know, I, I think while Mario is cert- certainly on the radar, I also think that, you know, we can't just marry ourselves to the idea that, that Mario no, is the guy. I think, I think uh, you know, they would look at other options as well. I think that's one thing I can tell you from the last search, that there's no rush to judgment here. While, while Mario, I think, would be the favorite, the guy that would make the most sense, um, you know, I think they're going to do their due diligence and do interviews and do everything if they have to do it, if they have to get rid of Manny. Right. Um, one thing that's for sure, Manny's future and Blake's future is not necessarily tied together. And I say necessarily because I know how good some of you guys listen. Oh, you just said they're not tied together. No, it's not what I said. I said it's not necessarily tied together. <laughs> right. That Blake could get fired and Manny could stay on or Manny could get fired and Blake could stay on. It just depends on the individual evaluation of both of those guys. And um, obviously I think very much Blake's future is tied to Manny in the sense that um, he hired him as his coach. And if he fails, that's not going to reflect well on him, but I still think there's an area where Manny could, could coach his ass off and Miami's administration could just look at what's happened with the other sports teams, the basketball and the baseball team, for instance, and say, you know what, this guy hasn't cut it. Okay, he hasn't done what he's supposed to do. And certainly, I think, you know, as you mentioned last week, the, the public relations thing, I don't think that was necessarily yep. viewed as great either. So, um, you know, there's there, but that evaluation, as far as all the rumors of Blake being fired already, and he knows. And blah, yes, Blake knows he's in trouble. There's no doubt Blake knows he's in trouble. There's no doubt he, yeah, feels, he wouldn't have come out that, with that press tour if he had if he didn't think he was in trouble. There's there's no doubt he feels the heat. But the fact that he's been told already, he's fired, no. I can tell you with 100% certainty, nobody has told, been told they're going to be fired at the end of this year. So that's what my reporting has brought. I know there's a lot of internet tough guys out there and great reporters who do great work on, on message thread boards. And they said this and they said that. 
but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I, 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 I actually sat down and spoke to people face to face. And so I feel very confident in what I'm telling you right now. Look at that. You went mafia style. You went face to face. You took them to the mattresses. <laughs> well, listen, um, great Kings win, by the way. I went up to Pittsburgh for that one. And of course, Miami pulls out the 38-34 win. We haven't even talked about that game yet. We've addressed the state of the Canes because that was kind of the big deal. But from a football perspective, Carlos, uh, this uh, this TVD guy, man, I, I looked up the pro football focus stats and just based on his NFL rating, okay, for the last two weeks, if you, if you look at every power five quarterback, he's got the third best QBR um, just the last two weeks with what he's done. And he's played better competition than the two guys in front of him, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma and Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. They played Army and Duke, and I think Caleb Williams played like Kansas and Texas Tech. Uh, TBD played two top 50 defenses, did a great job, carved them up. My question now, is there enough evidence for Carlos Leto to say, without a doubt, Tyler Van Dyke is his quarterback of the future? I mean, you saw flashes of it, like, like we talked about against Virginia. You saw flashes against North Carolina. I think the issue was him not being able to put a full game together because he didn't have that confidence yet. And also, I think the problem was, with, like mentioned in your article, or, or Red Lashley was, was just saying that he didn't know how to coach him yet, what plays worked best for him. He was a little too conservative with him at first. But now that he sees what he's capable of, and now that Tyler has that confidence, now he can let it rip. Now he can open up the playbook and do what we talked about when he first got the starting job, which was he can open up the field in a way that quarterbacks down here haven't been able to do in a long time. And, you know, De'Ari King was great, but he was a different kind of quarterback. And this access to deep parts of the field that the Hurricanes are getting is creating a threat uh, of the big play and explosive plays that we haven't had in a long time. Uh, the only thing we've had it is with De'Ari King's legs. And his, as we saw, De'Ari King's deep ball wasn't all that great last year. And sometimes that hurt us, especially in that Clemson game. But I think what, what TVD brings now is not just that deep ball threat, not just that ability to escape the pocket a little bit, just be, you know, twitchy enough to get that first down when we need it, but it brings that swag and that confidence that you need at the quarterback position, which at the beginning, it looked like he didn't have. Everybody thought it was Jake Garcia that had that sort of mojo, that sort of swag. But then he came out with those comments right before NC State. And man, he went from TVD, the, the shy guy to you like to call him. What is it? Tyler Van Swag, Swaggy, uh, swaggy TVD. I call him Swaggy, swaggy TVD. TVD. Yeah. And that's who he's become. And it's great to see, man. I think the, the kid has a lot of potential. He has the ability to really get better. There are things he, he still needs to work on. One of those things being pocket presence. I think he runs into sacks a little bit sometimes Sorry. because he's, he does, he's not able to uh, feel the pressure and be able to sort of move around in the pocket and slide away from it. But he'll get that as, as he continues to get reps which I think uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. He's going to be okay. Now, the other thing he's got to work on now is how do you handle success? You've gone up against two top 25 teams, two top 20 teams, two top defenses. Now, with the latter half of the schedule being what it is against lesser teams and lesser defenses, do you come out with that same confidence and aggression and, st and still play at that elite level? Let's see what happens. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you, I mean, I, I swung down by UM today while uh, they were doing interviews. It's the one day we get to talk to players in person. And essentially, uh, Tyler was saying after practice that, you know, I haven't done anything yet. I'm looking uh, to look at his quotes because I didn't transcribe anything. But um, here, hold on a second. I'm going to scroll down and find the quotes. Um, Let's see here. No, yeah, they, somebody asked him about, you know, the success getting it to his head. He said, hopefully it continues to carry on. 
I'm just going like I did before about my day throughout these last two uh, weeks. I still have to work hard. I really haven't done anything yet. Yeah, we won two games. I played well, but we still have four games left and possibly some more. I still have to keep working. So, again, the kid recognizes that what he's accomplished these two weeks really means nothing. And that's what right. you want to hear your leader say. And I, and I can say that's been echoed by the other guys that were made available today. Um, who was it? Uh, it's confident, yeah. but not cocky. Yeah, confident, but not cocky. DeAndre Johnson. And uh, I'm trying to think of who else spoke today. Um, Cam Kitchens, Xavier, I think, right? Cam Kitchens and Xavier Restrepo as well. Right. Um, but great performance by him. Um, and I thought the offensive line, you know, has performed better these last couple weeks. I know Navon Donaldson was kind of the one negative from that game, but um, overall, um, you know, they're, they're doing well. They're doing much better. I think that, that getting them together to play on the same, you know, group without changing it, without uh, mixing up the line, that's been a, a huge uh, reason for improvement. Um, one thing I wanted to get into was the defense because, um, you know, that, that to me is still the area that obviously remains a work in progress. Um, there's some stuff here that I that I gathered some notes off of uh, Saturday's game. Number one, Miami surrendered a school record 519 yards passing to pick it. OK, they picked them off twice. Yes. Uh, but that still doesn't mean there weren't coverage issues. Some some analytics here. Marcus Clark uh, making a second start, targeted six times, gave up six catches for 76 yards and a touchdown to Corey Couch, targeted four times, four catches for 108 yards and a score. And DJ Ivy targeted four times. Gave up four catches for 51 yards. The only cornerback who played well was uh, Tyreek Stevenson, targeted six times, only gave up two catches for 26 yards, and picked off Pickett uh, that led to that touchdown. It was a huge. It was Stevenson's first uh, college interception, highest grade he's ever received from Pro Football Focus, 80.8, after receiving his worst, 39.3, for missing four tackles yeah. in the NC State game. So, uh, cornerback play, obviously important. This week against Georgia Tech, they don't have the kind of receivers. Obviously, the Pittsburgh does, um, but they do have a quarterback that can run, which is an entirely different challenge. But overall, Carlos, um, I, I, what, what I'm worried about moving forward is the cornerback position beyond this year because it's pretty obvious that Tyreek Stevens is going to leave. What do you got in Corey Couch? What do you got in Marcus Clark and DJ Ivy and, and the guys that they have here? Right, and I think that's why they went so DB heavy in this recruiting class. I think the, the only commits they have, obviously largely are, d are defensive backs and a linebacker and a quarterback. Um, that's one of the reasons why they went so hard in that. And then in this recruiting cycle going after those DBs. And I think they may look at some more guys in the portal to try and add depth moving forward. But I, I think the thing that we have to look at is, yeah, they gave up 519 yards passing, but they held Pitt to 64 yards rushing, right? Which was Pitt's lowest rushing total of the season. Mm -hmm. And I said on my podcast that the, the only time Pitt had lost all season they, they rushed for 75 yards against Western Michigan. Right. They became over-reliant on Kenny Pickett. And you can't – he's great, but you can't put all that on one guy and on one area and become one dimension. And that's what ended up happening. And I think although the defense failed a lot in the passing game, they did a great job of stopping the run, getting timely stops, and doing what they needed to do. And they weren't playing a crappy quarterback, right? They were playing a guy that came in there with 25 touchdowns, one interception, and was a Heisman hopeful. And he had won that game, and they won out. He was probably going to be invited to New York. So, yes, they give up a lot of yards to a great quarterback. It happens. Now, the rest of the schedule, he's, they're not going to face anybody near that. As a matter of fact, I looked up the quarterbacks that they've faced thus far, and the lowest-rated quarterback in terms of PFF passing grade is ranked 54th of all the quarterbacks that they've faced so far. You know who that is? No, tell me. 
Sam Howell. <laughs> That's the worst quarterback they faced. That's the worst quarterback they faced this year, according to PFF. They faced the number two quarterback in PFF, which was Kenny Pickett, number four in Bryce Young, number seven in Chase Bryce, number nine in Brennan Armstrong, number 15 in Devin Leary, and number 39 in Peyton Thorne. Wow. They're, they're averaging the average quarterbacks that they face this year are ranked 18.5 in the PFF grades. Top 20 quarterbacks in the first eight, seven games of the season against Power 5 competition. Moving wow. forward, mm-hmm. you know what the highest ranked guy is in passing grade moving forward? No. It's a great number, though. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. It's 49. I thought it was Jordan Travis at 69, which would have been a great number. But Gunnar Holmberg from Duke is number 49. Wow. You got J- Jordan Travis at 69. Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech that's coming up this week, 98th with a 65.3 passing grade. And Braxton Burmeister, number, he's number 89 with a 67.6 passing grade. So wow. all these guys are not known for their passing. What they have to deal with moving forward are quarterbacks that can beat you with their legs and aren't efficient passers. So it, the, the game plan and the defense has to shift to account for that. My biggest concern moving forward is not the cornerbacks. My biggest concern moving forward is the linebackers now because you've seen that Corey Flagg is not athletic enough to take quarterbacks down in, in the open field. He can't run guys down. He gets beat on swing passes. He gets beat by running backs in the flat. And he's just not that athletic to make those kind of plays, and that concerns you. Yeah, great points. This is why we have you on the show, so you can come correct and say, hey, dumbass, we've already played a bunch of great quarterbacks. That's why I have you. <laughs> no, it's, well, it's more like, thank God it's over. <laughs> um, no, and, and listen, th- those guys have been put through the ringer this year, there's no doubt. Um but it is a valid concern because I think, you know, replacing the true number one cornerback is going to be difficult. I don't know if that guy is on this roster right now. I think Marcus Clark is more of a slot corner um, and, and not Marcus Clark uh, to Corey Couch is more of a slot corner. Yeah. And I think Marcus Clark is, is probably more of a number two guy, you know, in terms of you don't want him on the best receiver. So that that's an area where I could see Miami going to the transfer portal, trying to find an upperclassman the same way that they did with with Tyreek Stevenson to. uh to get some help. Uh, let's go through some more defensive stuff just coming off of the last game if I can find my notes here again. Um, all right, here we go. Um, pick it, pick Miami's defense apart despite the fact the Hurricanes produced their second highest number of pressures of the season, 26, according to PFF. Miami's 35 pressures against Alabama in the opener is still the most. Um, Keontra Smith in defensive end, DeAndre Johnson had five pressures each. Four sacks matched the season high uh, for Miami to achieved against North Carolina. Zach McLeod, one and a half. Um, uh, Jess Simpson said he thought McLeod and Johnson played their best games of the season. Miami has 20 sacks overall and is on pace to finish with 32 and a half, assuming the team qualifies for a bowl game. The Hurricanes had 46 sacks the last time it played a 13 game season in 20, 2019. Um, but from a pressure standpoint, 164 pressures through eight games. That's about 20.5 per game. Last season when they had Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, uh, getting the bulk load of the work. Miami totaled 205 pressures in 11 games. That's around 18.6 pressures per game. So they're creating more pressure, just not getting the quarterback down. Yeah, and you know what? They played two really good offensive lines the last two weeks and still generated pressure, which to me says that they're doing a better job with the front four and the blitzers are getting home a little bit more. They're not generating a ton of sacks, but at least they're getting the quarterbacks off their spots and making them earn every throw. And I think they're going to play offensive lines in the coming weeks that are nowhere near as good as NC State or as Pitt's offensive line in terms of pass protection. They might be better run-blocking offensive lines, but definitely not pass-protecting offensive lines. And on my podcast, I said that, you know, this game against Pitt was going to be all about pressure. 
the pressure that UM can get on Pickett to get him off his spots to make him earn every throw? Can TVD handle the pressure that Pitt was going to bring at him? And can the young safeties handle the pressure that Pickett was going to put them under? And thankfully, everything worked out in the Hurricanes' favor. And I also thought that DeAndre Johnson could have his best game of the season because I had seen him trending that way in the last few games, and he looked really good. And I hope in the coming games he continues to trend up. Miami only had 11 missed tackles in this game, which is their best performance uh, against an FBS opponent. They continue to get better. So improvement in, in the tackling department. Um, but I wanted to get to this item, too. They've held their last two opponents to a combined 179 yards rushing on 45 carries. That's 45, nine, 49 yards less than North Carolina um, when they had uh, over 200 yards on 48 carries. It, so, you know, the run defense right now ranks fifth best in the ACC, 3.99 yards per carry. Last year, they were ninth, 4.55. So Manny Diaz, I mean, if, if you want to say there's an area where they've improved, half a yard on run defense is an improvement. It's a great improvement. And, you know, it, a lot of people don't realize that you still need to have some sort of balance. It doesn't mean that you have to run the ball 50-50 when it comes to your offensive breakdown between run and pass, but you have to have the threat of a run to be able to take pressure off of your quarterback, to be able to pl use play action, use RPOs, and do things that opens up the field. You see that although the Hurricanes aren't hitting big runs every time, just the threat of Jalen Knighton busting a long run like he did against Pitt worries the defense enough that they have to respect the play action. And that makes a huge difference to be able to open up the field for the Hurricanes. If they keep doing that, if they're able to stuff the run in the coming weeks, they should be fine. The one team that worries me the most that's left on the schedule is Florida State for various reasons. Number one, they can really run block. They got some really good running backs, and Jordan Travis is a really elusive runner as a quarterback. And on top of it all, it's a rivalry game. Both teams know they need that win for recruiting purposes and for, for shit-talking purposes the rest of the season. So they've got to get this win to, one, maybe Florida State become bowl eligible and for Manny to keep trending towards, you know, continuing to build this program. Yeah, and, and I'll, one thing I'll say about this is, you know, Florida State's three and five. They play NC State this week. They could very well be on the, on the, bowl, on the you know, the point of elimination there in the ACC uh, or bowl elimination yep. if they lose to NC State. So that means the Miami game, uh, you know, that's it. They, they, that's going to be ride or die for them. They've got to they got to win their last three games to be bowl eligible if they lose to NC State this week. So I think without question, you're going to see um, Florida State play hungry against Miami in that game in Tallahassee. All right. One more stat. I, I, this is all because I looked all this shit up. Um, the Hurricanes. I love it. I love it when you come with the stats. How essential – I'm going to ask you, how essential is winning the turnover battle for Miami's success? Because they won 2-1 to one against Pittsburgh. How essential is winning the turnover battle for Miami's success? What do you think Miami's record is when they win the turnover battle under Manny Diaz? I say they win 80% of the time. 15-2. and 15-2 and two, uh, when they do not win or even when they draw even. They're 3-12. and 12. Yeah. So they got a, the turnover chain has to come out for them to win. Basically, if it doesn't, um, then they're not going to win games. And so uh, that was really important. And going back to Diaz's arrival as defensive coordinator, Miami is 35 and four when it wins the turnover margin, nine and 24 when it is even or loses it. I mean, that's an incredible stat, Carlos. Um, anyway, uh, the five games. What's that? I mean, we saw it. We saw it in 2017. This team was a totally different team when they were creating turnovers. Right. The reason why they were on that streak was they were able to take possessions away from the other team and give themselves short fields, so Malik uh, Rozier didn't have to drive 80 yards every time to score. And right. that makes a huge difference for a team. And it also takes pressure off you as a defense because if you could cut 
possessions down for the offense. That's less less possessions you have to defend. And with the defense that we have at this stage, the more possessions you can take away from the offense, the better. Right. And I, I'm going to throw out some uh, some more here. Of, of Miami's four remaining opponents, only Virginia Tech plus four has a positive turnover margin. The Hokies are tied with NC State for the fewest turnovers in the league uh, with six. Georgia Tech minus one, Florida State minus four, and Duke minus four um, are the other three opponents. The Seminoles lead the ACC with 16 turnovers lost. The Hurricanes, meanwhile, are minus four in the turnover margin for the season, tied with Clemson and North Carolina for seventh with 11 turnovers lost. Miami's seven turnovers gain ranks, ranks next to last in the ACC ahead of only Syracuse. So, yeah, this defense hasn't been able to produce turnovers. Um, they haven't tackled well. All of a sudden, that's starting to change. They're tackling well. They're shutting down the run. They're creating turnovers. Uh, so everything is trending from a defensive standpoint in the right direction. And that's great. That's great for uh, Manny Diaz and the program, right? I mean, if he's going to stay on as coach, this is what you want to see. Absolutely. And you know what? It's, it's, um, it's critical for them. I think the, the, the turnovers are more important than the tackles for loss. I know Manny stressed his tackles for loss, and that was a whole basis for his defense. But the turnovers are really what makes them go. And if they can continue to create these turnovers, it's going to be really good for them moving forward. At the end of the day, I think they have opportunities now against Georgia Tech, Florida State, Duke, and Virginia Tech, who are teams that are more likely to turn over than the teams they just recently faked in NC State and Pitt, who are really good at protecting the football. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they, they turn up the pressure on them and are able to do it. Yep. Oh, Carlos, uh, I'm going to make this an abbreviated episode for us tonight, just because you and I have been busy. You got a life. You're picking up your daughter. I got other things I've got to do as well. We've hit all the main points. Uh, just give me your prediction for Saturday uh, with Miami and Georgia Tech. Uh, Canes win by 10. They cover the spread. I say the Canes win by seven. They do not cover the spread. Oh, look at you. All right. We'll see. All right. We'll, we'll bet another, uh, another lunch this year. All right. I got you. All right, brother. Thank you for everything. Make sure to check out Carlos at the MIA All Day podcast. Uh, he does an excellent job there and, and love having him on the show with me here. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We'll be reacting to Georgia Tech. But I hope we brought you a good abbreviated show. Hurricanes 4-4 four and four, taking on the 3-5 and five Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 12-30. Make sure to watch that game on, uh, what is it, Valley Sports? Uh, Valley Sports. Valley Total Fitness, I think. It's uh, Valley one Total yeah, it's Valley Total Fitness and Miracle Center. It's the one on the second floor. <laughs> Be sure to tune in if you're not there in person. Carlos, thanks as always. All right, man. Take care. All right. So obviously I forgot to answer mailbag questions. I'm, I'm a big idiot. I forgot that I requested questions on Twitter and I realized that I couldn't just walk away without answering them because that'd be pretty bad. So I'm going to go through your questions now on Twitter from earlier tonight. Uh, and included in this week's podcast. All right, this is the first question. Manny, does Raul think TVD will be our best quarterback since Ken Dorsey? This is from RJM Kane, 2006. I take that question, Manny. I take that question. I take it, uh, I take it right now. Raul? How, how the hell did you get into this uh, Zoom call, man? Uh, well, now that I have the release from the TGKs, uh, I'm trying, I learned a couple new skills, thanks to my friend Thibault. He happened to be uh, a good hacker. And he taught me how to hack Zoom calls. I also learned how to trade the cryptocurrency. I'm now starting my own crypto. It's called Cuba Coin. And on the coin, on the front side, you got Celia Cruz. And on the back, you got the guy Manolo from uh, a cafe. 
That's 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 really interesting. I had no idea. So you're a hacker now. All right. Well, I'm going to have to let uh, Carlos know. I'm sure he's going to be a little concerned considering he's got a tax business and, and connections to all kind of financial records. I don't want you to to go back to jail because you get in trouble with Carlos. Are you going to are you going to yeah, follow you, the law? You don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to tell him that I use this email all the time. It's OK. Listen, that's between you and me and the listeners. All right. Well, let's answer this question then, Raul. Uh, Will TVD be the best quarterback at Miami since Ken Dorsey? You want to get this one? Uh, well, I left my crystal ball back at TGK, so I cannot answer the future. But I cannot tell you now, I can tell you that he looks very good in the first two, go- the first two games, or the last two games that he's played. He looked okay against Virginia North Carolina. I thought of a little slow, a little slow, but he's looking good, man. He's looking good. He's going to be, to me, the best quarterback since the last Cuban quarterback uh, Miami had, Gino Torreta. Everybody, everything you know is Italian, but Gino really is Ignacio. That's his first name. He shortened it to Gino. And Torreta is a Cuban last name. People don't know that. Yeah, but Tyler Van Dyke isn't Cuban. He's from Glastonbury, Connecticut. Pablo, that's just because you live in Connecticut doesn't mean you're not Cuban. So I know I got family in Connecticut. His name is Tyler, not Tyler. And Van Dyke is really just a translation of his last name in Spanish, which is Tortiera. All right, so TVD, best QB uh, since Ken Dorsey, according to Raul. Uh, do you want to help me answer the rest of these questions, or should I call Carlos and, and get him on the line here? Because he's normally no, my Don't co-host. talk to that guy. Don't talk to that guy. Don't talk to that guy. Let's go you and me. You and me, money. Okay, all right. I want to make sure you're all right. Um, all right, when is the last time you can remember a quarterback in Miami that played as well as TVD has in their last two games against ranked opponents? In other words, who would you compare to him in terms of special? This is from Ariel Marine, 38. First of all, great name by that guy. That guy is definitely Hispanic, probably Cuban. Good job, Ariel Marine. Uh, I, I, I don't know who I compare him to. He, like you said, I heard you say in the podcast, uh, he looked a little like Vinny Tascaverde. Uh, he looked a little, little bit like me to Craig Erickson. Uh, but I think he's, he's got a kind of, man. He's got a kind of like a Steven Morris. I like the arm. I like the way he looks. Yeah, I, I said in the press box Saturday at Pittsburgh that he looked uh, like uh, Vinny Testaverde, just the, the long, gangly uh, arm and legs, and especially when he runs. And um, at the same time, I, I think his cockiness, he's got a little, uh, little, little confidence slash cockiness, and he, um, you know, it's kind of who he reminds me of. Now, this person asked, can you remember the last time Miami had a quarterback that played as well against two ranked opponents? I can't. I'm not going to sit here and look at all the stats, but I will tell you, that, you know, what he's done the last two games against ranked opponents in terms of 325 yards and three touchdowns at least against both of those um, ranked opponents, it's happened before. I mean, Brad Kaya did it three times in 2016 where he threw for 325 and three touchdowns. Stephen Morris did it three times in 2012. Brad Kaya twice in 2014. D'Eric did it last year twice, and, and Malik Rozier did it twice last year. So six quarterbacks since 2000 have had games with guy. yeah so it's it's not that special per se but ranked opponents that's a different deal i'd have to uh, really spend my time i tell you what is special about him mm-hmm. he got this thing that we call in cuba the, the cubans we know what it's called he's got un chucho he's got a chucho for an arm and i love it all right uh i know it's a small sample size but does the last two games look closer to the offense Rhett lashley ran at smu i'm curious if the stats line up with what lashley wants from run, pass, balance, and yardage. 
who's this guy asking this question? Is this like a, is this like a final exam in a football class? Looking at the, the smooth uh, tax when Red Lashley was off his corner. Am I supposed to call Red Lashley right now or break back into his house? Not that I did that before and used his hot dog and find out what he likes or what he doesn't like about the offense. This is from JPC867. I got to look at this guy's photo and see, you know, why he'd be asking these kind of questions. Um, but anyway, he, he, he's asking uh, about that. I don't have any stats in front of me to compare to Lashley, but I can look it up. I can hit click a couple times. Let's look back to Rhett Lashley's last year in 2019 at SMU and look at some of the total offensive yardage stats. These are the, the numbers in 2019 with Red Lashley. 508 yards, 503 yards, 639 yards, 406 yards, 497 yards, 440 yards, 655, 385, 553, 636. And then the last three games, he slowed down. 344, 377, and 425. Um, let's click over to Miami's total yardage stats. Let's see if there's any comparison to that because um, that's probably the best way to answer this question. Um, Miami, of course, had 739 yards against Central Connecticut State, but we'll forget about that. The most yards that they've had all season, 490, was the last game against Pittsburgh. They've been over 420 yards their last three games, 440 versus Michigan State. Um, that's not the kind of numbers I think Rhett was putting up at SMU. It's a little higher, right? A little higher, but it's rolling, man. And the competition saying, uh, when he was at school was not as good as the competition that Miami faced. For God's sakes, look at the two defenses they just played. The Wolf Pack. Route, they were going, they were coming at us. They were one of the top defenses in the country. And the Pittsburgh Panthers, also route, another another animal that likes to scratch and claw. They 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 put it on him, man. What else you want? That, listen, he just wants to know if they compare. I, we're, we're answering the questions here, Raul. Um, all right. Tell the guy, listen, I got I got the perfect place for him to look. There's this little thing called Google. Go on Google, and Google will tell you. <laughs> Google. All right. All right, if Manny comes back next season, does he need to hire a defensive quarter, uh, coordinator? This is from T. Miller Golf. Well, I can tell you this much. If Manny's looking for a defensive coordinator, I'm available. I can step in, coordinate the defense, give everybody a cafecito on the sidelines after every series. I get these guys going, baby. Okay, and I come cheap. Give me 50 grand, all the Cuban sandwiches I can eat, and a place where I can sleep at night when my wife kicks me out the house. I, I don't know that Manny would give up the defense just because I think he enjoys doing it. Um, and then that would also I enjoy. I enjoy doing a lot of things, too, Manny. It doesn't make it right. <laughs> well, if he if he hires them as a coordinator, it means he needs to, to fire an assistant because he would move back to the head coaching position um, and have to hire another e extra assistant. Right now they have an extra strikers coach, right, because of that situation. So, um He'd have to let somebody go and bring them in as defensive coordinator, or he could just hand the keys over to T-Rod. I don't know what he's going to do, but we'll see. Um, thoughts on why some of the young players are outplaying the upperclassmen? It seems like some of the tenured guys regress significantly. DJ Ivy, Gervin Hall, etc. Anthony Adams, nine, on Twitter, is asking that question. Why do you think the older hey. guys regressed? Uh, well, it could be that, that they got a little care during the COVID times. They... they they pack it up. They don't think they, they need to play as hard. Maybe they, they thought they were they could learn on their rest on their laurels. Lorel, Loreles, how you say that? But whatever. Uh, to me, the bottom line is these younger guys are better, man. These guys are better. These guys, I know why the young guys play good because I see them every week. They are a Versailles drinking what apple four times a day. 
Okay? And that's why the young guys play better and they win. James Williams is out there drinking guarabo. Is that what you're saying? Bro, James Williams throws down a 32-ounce guarabo every other day. Is this, uh, what is in guarabo? It's sugar cane juice. Okay. Okay? So the canes are drinking cane is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, at least they're not doing it like they did in the 80s with another kind of cane, but we won't talk about that. I think the reason the uh, uh, agree with you, I think the uh, younger guys are better than the older guys. But I also think a lot of these older guys, they're trying to protect their bodies, right? Because they want to get drafted and they don't want to get hurt. And so I think the younger guys play with a little bit more reckless abandon. Well, if DJ Ivy is trying to protect his body, I don't know what he's going to do because he's flago like on palo. There's no protecting that, my friend. <laughs> All right. Why is three star defensive end Quinton Williams hitting the transfer portal? This is from G squared Canes. I didn't know that guy was on the team. So maybe that's part of the answer. Uh, I, who is that guy? Quinn Williams. He was a recruit in one of the recent recruiting classes. He didn't play. Really? It sounds, it kind of sounds like a, like a guy that I used to buy Frida from. Quinn Williams. No, never mind. I don't guess. Maybe he's not playing off. Maybe he, he just thinks it's a better time for him to go to like uh, North Appalachian, Southwest State. to get playing times. Instead of maybe waiting it out and competing for another spot. Who knows? But all the best to the kid. You know, thank you for choosing Miami. Didn't know you were on the team, but I enjoyed your time here. All right. Uh, Quinn Williams, I think, is leaving for playing time. All right. We keep seeing players pop up on Twitter that they have offers from Miami. Does Miami have any chance with these guys, or are they so far behind the eight ball with them? They are trying to sell the location and brand. Miami trying to poach or just swinging the bat at this point. Asher Wildman, 13. Listen, if Manny gets me involved in the recruiting process, I can tell you right now, we're landing all those kids. There's no behind the eight ball, okay? That we we corner pocket every time we win in the recruiting battle. Raul will show these guys the time of their lives. We will go out on AS3. We hang out at every bar, the ball in the chains. We go to that little restaurant in the corner uh, with all the little drawings on the side, get them some cafecito, get them some tabacos, have them play some dominoes in Domino Park. And then I take them to, uh, to We Woods, and we have a good time, man. I'm telling you, I, I am the recruiting effectiveness. Put Raul in the game. Yeah, I, I would love to see what a recruiting weekend with Raul would be. What would a recruiting weekend be like? What would you uh, do with these guys? Uh, well, we, we, could, we could go to Mangos on the beach. Uh, we, can, we can go eat at, at La Carreta because Versailles is too expensive. It's a good place, but it's overrated, overrated, overpriced. So we go across the street to La Carreta, which is cheaper, easier on the wallet. Although, if I am part of the recruiting team, Manny Diaz is giving me his credit card, okay? Now, he might find some weird charges after the weekend, but don't worry about it. As long as I land the players, it's all good. All right. Um, does Miami have any chance with these guys? Yeah, I think all the guys that you're seeing, the Jeffrey Mbaz, the, the French kid, defensive line, all these guys that they're bringing in, these Juco kids, uh, they're coming here for a reason. So, yes, you're seeing lots of offers go out. Um, I think the reality is what you're seeing more than anything else is that they are not going to probably land the majority of the high school guys that they were hoping to get with a winning season. So, uh, and, and you have to hand it to Manny. You have to hand it to Manny. He's going the Yuko route. And it's, it's an eye for talent. Let me tell you, not everybody can go into a Jewish community college and pick out the best players. It's not a Jewish community college. It's a junior college, Raul. It's so a it's junior. like a smaller college, like I say, like, like 15 people in the school? Uh, no, it's just, it's, it's like, uh, or it's like in not a full university. Is it the son, is it, is it the son of another school? So like if it's Clemson, it's Clemson Union, 
Yeah, right. That's exactly what okay. it is. It's like Clemson Jr. Okay. Um, wow, they're taking a shot at your friend here, Carlos. Uh, it says, is Ledo still doing shoddy math to support the Miami no money excuse? This is from Rob Cabal. Mira, uh, Rob, you have some cabals to talk crap about my friend Khalid, okay? He's an incredible soul. He's a good man. Uh, he allows me, without knowing, to use some of his uh, emails and use some of his Starbucks points and stuff. He's a good guy. He may not know mathematics that good. It's okay, though. He's a good guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you're talking crap about Carlos. He's, uh, he's phenomenal. Um, all right. Have you heard the administration talk about spending more money in the past or is the way they're talking about it now different? Where would the money come from? And is Julio Frank trying to save his job? Is he in peril because of the law school, not football? This is from John 9411331171. I think he took your jail number, didn't he? Yeah, that, that was exactly my jail number. This guy, he knows me way too well. I don't know why he's using my numbers like that. That's also the length of his question. It was like 9,597 words. <laughs> How did he feed that on Twitter? I don't know. He must have gotten a Twitter extension. Um, do you want to have an to answer point, for him? It was, it was so long, I forgot the question, man. <laughs> uh, Julio Frank, uh, he, he's crossing up with, with Francisco Frankenstein. Good guy. I don't think he's in trouble. Uh, what was the rest of the question? They're going to spend the money, man. Did you not read Manny's article today in the athletics? Eh? That I used Carlito's subscription to read? He said they're going to spend the money. Yeah, they said they're going to spend the money. Um, the administration talking about spending more in the past than in the past. Why are they talking about it different now? I think they're, as I explained in the article, they've got more money to work with. And I think also there's a need like they've they've been bad for so long that they can no longer ignore the problem. So they've got to throw money at it. Um, all right. How are the young linebackers not getting looks? Avery Huff and Tyreek Austin Cave should be seeing the field at this point in the season over some that are getting reps. This is from Mac ISOC on Twitter. Uh, well, from what I heard, the problem is that Tyreek Austin Cave, his real name, his nickname is Tyreek Austin Kaka, from the way he's played in practice and so far in the games. And everybody huff and puff and blow nobody down when he tries to tackle him. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, Austin Cave has played 10 snaps on defense um, in one game, all against Central Connecticut State, 33 on special teams. Avery Huff just can't get out of trouble in terms of penalties. He played 32 snaps on defense over five games but 106 on special teams. He's been flagged five times on special teams. He's made two tackles. Uh, I just think, you know, everything we've heard about Avery in the past was he's got to learn the defense, learn the plays. Right now, he's only learning how to pick up flags, unfortunately. Avery's penalty record is similar to my arrest record in the last year. What does Manny need to do to ultimately keep his job? And if he loses his job, what are the chances that Blake goes with him? This is from J-Boy1724. Well, first of all, he needs to hire Raul as a defensive coordinator. We just discussed this. Uh, this is what he needs to keep his job. Uh, second of all, he needs to continue winning the games because he cannot lose to uh, Michigan State Spartans. He cannot almost lose to the Appalachian State Mountain guys with the beards. Uh, he cannot drop games to the Virginia Cavalier guys on the horses and then losing to, to Corderos, uh, the North Carolina Corderos, the Rams. Yeah, Tar Heels, right. Um, I agree. I think uh, ultimately, if Manny has to is going to keep his job, I think he's got to win at least three of the last four games. And I think, um, you know, I think he can certainly solidify it by winning the last four and getting into the ACC championship and potentially winning it. That'll 
that'll be without question. If he loses his job, what are the chances that Blake goes with him? Uh, I think Blake, yes. I think Blake could potentially go with him if he's fired. He's going to. He's going with the baby and the bath water and all that stuff. All right. I know we played Georgia Tech next, but what does the Week 11 matchup between Miami and Florida State mean for both programs in terms of perception and momentum heading into next season? A lot of young talent on both teams. Are we setting the stage for a slew of top 25 matchups for the next couple seasons? This is from Zaga Zhao on Twitter. Wow, that's an interesting name. Is this guy, uh, is, that, is Sean Paul asking the question in a, with his burner account? Zaga Zhao. Zaga Zhao. Is that Beanie Man? Is that who is? What are, uh, uh, listen, who cares about the young guys? And flu? I don't know what a flu is. It's kind of like a, a zoo, but like smaller. Um, it's Florida State, Miami, man. It always means something, right? We yeah. can lose to these guys from, from Tlaxcala. We can do it, okay? I want to see Chef, Chef Osceola. I want to see him crying at the end of the game. I want to see his horse down on his knees begging for forgiveness from Sebastian Diaz. This is what I want to see every year, every year. Well, of the last four games, it's certainly the most that I'm excited about is the Florida State game because I think Miami will have a chance at that point to knock them out of bowl contention because they play NC State this week, and I think they could get lost number six. And at that point, the Miami game sort of becomes an elimination game for them. So then uh, the only place they're going, if they if they lose to NC State, they're losing to us, and the only place they're going bowling is Burp Bowl and La Guarina. <laughs> All right, with four games remaining, which injury can we least afford? Tyler Van Dyke, Rooster, or Rambo? When does Garcia come back? This O-line is, in da- is a danger to a pocket passer. This is from JJ Speed 69 Well, listen, uh, being a Cuban guy, you never want to lose a Rooster. I lost a Rooster uh, named Pepito last week, and he was, it was devastating. He was hard on my heart. He was hard on my soul. Uh, Pepito was a good Rooster. He was a good cock. I loved him. He was a strong fighter. Uh, he was undefeated in the ring. The rest in peace, Pepito. Te quiero, hermano. <laughs> But listen, you can Jalen Nightcomb is a lightning in a bottle. You don't want to lose him. Pobrecito, he weighs like 110 pounds. He's chiquitico. He's a cute little running back. I love him. He's so fast. Uh, you don't want to lose him. But if you lose Tyler Van Dice with Jake Garcia being injured, okay, Jake Garcia, by the way, is Cuban. If he comes in there even on one foot, he'll probably throw for 500 yards. But I don't want to see Peyton Matokamala. Okay? We cannot afford to put Peyton Matokamala on the field. Uh, <laughs> Uh, all right. Of the three, I would say TVD is without question because you have walk on quarterback backing him up, Ryan Risk. So you don't want to risk it by put by injuring Tyler Van Dyke. Rooster, I think, yeah, that'd be a tough one to replace too, considering you got two true freshmen. Uh, and then Charleston Rambo, I think he's probably last uh, just because you've got yeah, so but, many receivers. So, But Rambo never gets hurt, okay? Rambo never goes down. He never goes down. That's correct. Um when does Garcia come back at the earliest uh, mid-November? So we got several weeks before potentially that happened. Okay, well, if he wants to heal faster, I can take him to my friend. I told you, Francisco, Francisco, the doctor, in La Calle Ocho. He healed him up. Sana, sana, culito, rana. He healed that foot up. We have him in there by next week. All right. Well, Raul, it's been a pleasure answering questions with you. Uh, where are you now, by the way? I'm at an undisclosed location in Hialeah. He can't go home right now because the wife is still mad that I was in the TGKs for a little bit. Uh, I am going to go back by the house to get some clothes later on while she's asleep and say hello to my cast, Wissing and Yandel. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you, Manny, as always. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, even though you didn't allow me to go on the show, I just jumped on. But it's okay. No problems. We had a good time, right? 
yeah, I, I thought I had invited Carlos and then you somehow ended up on the Zoom call. I thought I was you know going to record this by myself and then all of a sudden you pop up. So uh, thanks for jumping on. I, I It was fun uh, certainly talking roosters and everything else with you. As always, Manny, always a pleasure. You are a gentleman and then a callers. And please don't tell Carlos I did this. I stole his email account and that's why I logged in. But oh, shh, don't tell nobody. Uh, all right, Raul. Stay safe. Stay out of jail. Uh, try, you know, it's not gonna happen. But we do what we do.